Hello and welcome to the Diction Police. I'm your host, Ellen Rissinger, an American vocal coach accompanist on the music staff of the Zemper Opera in Dresden, Germany. This is the dreaded episode number 13. Whether you consider 13 to be lucky, unlucky, or just another number, I thought it was appropriate to have this episode be a special edition that doesn't talk about diction, but rather about studying and working in both the U.S. and Germany, and about how to get started and some resources you can utilize. Before we start off, I want to make a disclaimer about being a musician. Most of us go into music because we love it. In college we get absorbed in music, history, theory, coachings, rehearsals, studying. What we've done is take our favorite hobby and made it a job. This makes it extremely difficult to enjoy music anymore. Most of the coaches I know won't listen to music at home for any reason. Performances are tough to enjoy when most of your job is to critique and correct people singing. As a singer, you're constantly bombarded with differing opinions on your fach, tone quality, technique, diction, pitch, rhythm, and appearance, and it's hard sorting through to find the people whose opinions you can trust. This career can also be a very lonely one. If you're successful doing contract work, then you're on the road 300 days a year. If you have a fest job in Europe, you're thousands of miles from home. It's tough on relationships because you have a built-in mistress that takes up all of your time. If you have a partner in the business, then it's tough because you're both under the same stress. If your partner isn't in the business, they don't understand why you are stressed. I say this actually to partly to scare you off. This is not a job to choose because it looks like fun. This is something we do because we can't see ourselves doing anything else. On the other side of the coin, we've centered our lives around something we love, and not many people can say that. We get to kill Scarpia, fall in love with Nemorino, mourn Mimi, and swear vengeance, and basically cover every main human emotion every day before lunch. There are days when it's just a job, but there are days when someone touches your soul, and that's what life's about, isn't it? I love practicing a difficult passage until it's easy. I love being there when a singer figures out something new vocally or te technically or emotionally. I love sharing that with other people, and I love learning something new all the time. Music is a career that's all about the journey, and I hope that you can all find this kind of joy along your career path. There are a few books and websites that are very helpful to know about. Musical America is a list of all the performing companies in America listed by state and also including agencies. The Deutsches Bühnenjahrbuch is a list of all the theaters in German-speaking countries plus agencies and a comprehensive list of all employees of the opera companies as well. Opera America members have access to listings of all the opera companies in America and some international ones as well, including young artist program information and chorus auditions. We've already talked with Philip Shepard, who wrote What the Fach, the Definitive Guide for Opera Professionals in Germany, Austria, and Switzerland, which has lots of valuable information for anyone interested in coming over to Germany to work. I'll post links to these and any other resources that I find on the blog at thedictionpolice.com. Don't forget the the. Our first discussion today is with Stephanie Woodling Bucher and James Martin. Stephanie is an American mezzo who graduated with both bachelor's and master's degrees from the Manhattan School of Music, and James is an Australian who studied at the Guildhall School of Music and Drama in London, England, and the Hochschule in Mannheim, Germany. Well, what do you, what do you have to do to get into a, a university here or a conservatory here in Germany? 
the conservator the conservatoriums are set up in such a way that you normally have a practical teaching component. The idea is that you will be trained also to be a teacher. You then further that teaching degree, you supplement that with your opera or with your lead class, depending on what you want to do. But you do have a very large theoretical and teaching component. Okay. You know, it's, it's like any other university. You need, a, a, you need an abitur to, to study An abitur there. is a high school diploma. Exactly. You need a high mm -hmm. school diploma. Otherwise, uh, you can get accepted on the grounds of an um, aptitude test. You can, uh, if you're particularly talented, mm -hmm. then, uh, then they will also accept you onto this. Because it's a degree course. It's a degree like anything else. Right. Do you remember how you, what you had to do to apply for college in the States for you? Yeah, fill out an application. At that time, um, uh, you waited to be or not be accepted for an audition. Mm -hmm. And then you sang an audition. I believe we have to present five art songs in various languages and styles. Um, nowadays, I believe they, all schools require a recording. Oh, okay. Of, so for pre-screening, mm -hmm. possibly even a video, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Did you did did people have to do auditions here too, or is it more of an aptitude like a test, or is it? For for my uh, degree in in England, I I had to do a written test. I had to do that. I also had to have an interview where I was asked about my my knowledge about this, that, and the other, which of course I was fairly nervous for the interview. And uh, the principal then asked me, so what sort of music do you like other than opera? I said, well, you know, I particularly like the, um, uh, the Brandenburg concertos from Handel. <laughs> and uh, the teacher then said to me, I think you'll find they're from Bach. And I, ah, yes. And I, that, that didn't go down very well, but they forgave me for that. And uh, it would seem that, that I managed to get through the theoretical mm -hmm. test as well somehow. Uh-huh. <laughs> What kind of classes, what kind of core classes did you have, Stephanie? Um, my freshman year, I had theory, of course, sight singing, movement for singers, Italian diction. Did you study, do you have Italian diction or Italian language or both? It was a mixture. Mm -hmm. And how about you here, James, in Germany, what kind of stuff did you have for a first year? Well, having already studied in the UK, my degree was accredited in Germany. So that meant that I didn't start with the first year and do the typical things that you would do with a degree. I just did the last two years of a degree. Okay. Because the German degree is, at the moment, still closer to a master's than it is to a bachelor's. Okay. So that's why they're restructuring the degrees here in Germany to make them internationally compatible. Mm -hmm. Having Already having a degree, I then got the German equivalent. Okay. For another two years study. Okay, so what kind of core classes did you start off with then by your junior, well, by your first year there? Yeah, my first year there, uh, we had things like movement, we had Italian. I was already in the opera school, so we were already doing opera projects. Uh, learning Italian was, of course, fun because I was learning the Italian and the German parallel. Uh -huh. <laughs> so I, uh, I was given the vocabulary in Italian and then they... Mm explain the vocabulary in German, so that was, uh, that was good fun. <laughs> and also um, a beginning, a beginner's actors class. And the good thing is about a, a typical degree like this is that you, uh, you're never quite sure if you really have understood what they've said. Somebody will come and say, so you pretend to be a tree 
and, uh, and I want you to pretend to be a cat and arch your back. And you're thinking, am I really understanding what they're saying? <laughs> I, I just have, a, I just better double check and see what everyone else is doing or what I really do the wrong thing. <laughs> so that was good fun. Yeah, I bet. Yeah. The advantage yeah. was also that they had a connection to the uh, opera house, mm -hmm. so that we also had coaching from people from the opera house. Oh. And uh, we were also able to do some small roles at the theatre mm -hmm. in Mannheim. Cool. Which was terrific. That's great. Would a, an undergraduate have had, or what we would know as an undergraduate, would they have had such an opportunity? No, because that's only the people who are in the opera mm -hmm. school, and that's the last two years of a, I think, a five-year degree. Okay. So basically what we would think of as almost a master's yes. degree program. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's compare Italian, because you both said you studied basically Italian and diction at the same time. We had a wonderful teacher, Bob Cowart, who spoke fluent Italian, speaks fluent Italian, um, coached at the Met, so the, the, te the teaching was great. Um, unfortunately, there's not enough time to, to really learn a language to, well. to learn to speak the language. Yes, fluently. exactly. I think um, we had great training with um, the rules of the diction. And IPA, and, you had to do I, Oh yeah, definitely. And, um, but you just don't get enough chance to practice speaking. Yeah. How many days a week would you have had class? Two days a week was the, the Italian diction class. Yes. How about here in Germany? How many days a week would you have Italian class? And was it more language? Was it more diction? We had it once a week. It was an hour and a half. Of course, you had a, quite a broad spectrum of ability when it came to the language. The focus was understanding the texts. We could also bring a text that we were studying and we would look at that as a group. We also had private time with the teacher which was useful because mm -hmm. then we could always bring the, the stuff that we were currently doing mm -hmm. uh, which was very helpful. Well here's my question then, did you learn the International Phonetic Alphabet? How did they actually teach the diction? Were there books? Do they have diction books here in Germany like we do in America? Or Yeah, the focus, I knew the International Phonetic Alphabet from England Okay. because that's how they taught French pronunciation. Uh, we had French also, but there was no focus on the language at all. Okay. We didn't look at the grammar, we didn't look at any vocabulary as such, we just did the pronunciation. That's why, that's how I knew the, the phonetic alphabet. The Germans tend to, because they have extra letters which we don't have, uh, like the A umlaut, uh, they use that rather than using the, the Greek E and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. uh, that's why it's, uh, they tend to translate it into their own into their German, own dramatic, yeah. their own letters, yes, their yeah. own alphabet, basically. Yeah. So they don't, they don't particularly worry about the IPA. But I found it very useful for myself because you can still, um, with minor modifications adjusted from Italian or French or German, you you have an idea. Okay, that's open, that's closed. Yeah, it's quite useful. Yeah. What are the classes that you found most useful? Yeah, the class, the classes I found most useful were particularly the practical ones. Mm -hmm. Because uh, practical in what way, like solfege, the sight singing, or no more, more about the experience of standing up in front of um, oh, okay. in front of people, like voice class exactly. kind of classes. Because is of course it, you can say that it's important to have a, a certain historical context for all of these things, but uh, if you have a director who who paints everything white and sprays the sprays the stage with blood then that doesn't really help. Uh, important is to be able to stand up in front of a group 
and doesn't matter what you're given, what the exercise is to be able to carry that out with a certain degree of confidence. All those classes were very useful. Yeah. Movement, drama classes, mm. very, you very really, important. Where you yeah. really got up in front of your yeah. friends, yeah. your peers, yeah. and had to perform. And we also um, performed the texts without the music. That, I think, is very, very important. Because you then get a sense of how the language is spoken, where the, the stress is in the sentence, what the sense of the sentence is, what, what the motivation of the sentence is, so that when you reapply that to the music, it has a totally different perspective. Well, I'm so glad you said that too, because that's the first thing I always say to people. And the first thing I do, even in coachings with professionals now, when they come into a coaching, I won't let anyone sing anything until they can speak it for me reasonably well. Mm -hmm because otherwise your brain can't simultaneously learn words and music. It needs no. to learn one and then the other and then put it together because they're in different sides of your brain. Mm -hmm. Stephanie, yeah. do you have anything to I add? Would, I actually, I would completely agree with James. I had the same experience that the, the practical courses like audition preparation classes, for example, were the most useful classes I had there in movement. And, oh yeah, acting, of course, was great. Mm -hmm. um, uh, opera studio was a wonderful opportunity because we had, of course, we were learning roles and we had to coach the roles. So learning how to, just how to coach and, and how, how much time you need to invest. It was great for time management, being given so much on your plate and, and having to work through that and learn how to work with a coach and learn how to work with different styles of coaching. <laughs> <laughs> because everybody says yeah. everything differently. Yeah, exactly. Even yeah. when they say the same things. Yeah. Are there any topics that you wish you would have known that you would have wanted to have, have been have been trained in before you got to the professional I wish world? We would have had, I wish we had had uh, Russian fiction. Mm -hmm. It's yes. hard to learn Cyrillic the older you get. It's hard to learn the older you get. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and it's also, it, it's one of those standard languages mm -hmm. now. There's a lot of things are being performed in Russian mm -hmm. and Czech. Yeah. Right. How about you, James? Is there anything you wish that you would have been able to study in college? I think it's all very good and well. To you, you're a finished trained singer, you have all the preparation, but if you don't know where you should go and how you should start, then that's mm. also not much help. If you don't know, okay, I need a, I need an agent, or maybe I'll apply to the, to the, uh, to the opera house myself. You see that that if you, for example, go to uh, the pop academy, there are a couple of pop academies here in in Germany. They're much more orientated about getting a job. Mm -hmm. Whereas the opera school is much more about the wonderful, beautiful world of opera. But it never is on the focus of the once you... The once business you, Exactly, yeah. because it is, it is at the end of the day, it's a business. If mm -hmm. you want to be a professional singer, you need to know how do I market myself. And I think there was too little, little focus on that uh, in, the, in the course. Well, and I think that's something as Americans that we actually do cover a lot more than Europeans in I general. Think so, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because I know, like Stephanie was saying, there were audition practice courses. Right. And yeah. I know when I worked at Carnegie Mellon, we also had audition classes where people would get up, practice their auditions. There was, there was voice class every week. They really did get a broad range of opinions on how to write your resume, what to put on a resume, yeah. and what's the next step after school. I think that a lot of the European institutions, there's very much a, a, an impression that you, you're finished, you're trained, mm -hmm. And then what? Your talent will yeah. take you through. Exactly. <laughs> and it's very, it's very abstract. There's no concrete step. There's no plan. There's no plan. Uh, well, then let's, let's go there for a second. What kind of resources did you find after you got out of school? 
uh, one of the things I suggest to people is to look up the books op in Opera America, look up yeah. the companies and write to them, right. or how do you find, or how did you make your yeah. next step? Um, well, I got very lucky because um, shortly before I graduated with my master's, I auditioned for Opera Pacific's resident artist program, mm -hmm. and, and I got into that, and mm -hmm. I spent two years there crafting my trade. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I had great, it was a wonderful practical experience. I was so lucky. I, 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 it would have been a lot harder to mm -hmm. proceed had I not been given that wonderful opportunity. And, and of course, I, I spent my summers doing young artist programs mm -hmm. and networking. It's networking and, yeah. and while, mm -hmm. you, while you improve your, your craft. Yeah. Yeah. And James, you also went through the young artist program here in Europe. Mm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, that was, a, that was also a very interesting experience. A director in Mannheim uh, saw me, that he, he had a piece that he wanted to do in Dusseldorf and he'd seen me do the role in Mannheim. So I was contacted by the Opera House to ask me if I would like to uh, sing this role. So in my case it was a little unusual, but one really sees how important that is to actually, even a role, doesn't matter how small it is, if, if people come and they see it, it opens many, many mm -hmm. possibilities. Yeah. It's very, very important that the contact that you make to the people in the theatre, that's very important. Yeah. yeah. I have one kind of silly question, and I don't know if it's even answerable. <laughs> but I'll start off with a story, because I remember when I was in New York, one of my friends was making his city opera debut, and his mother showed up, and he was heading out to a rehearsal, and she was very shocked and said, well, where's the car that's coming to pick <laughs> us up? <laughs> and was very shocked that our lives are not this very yeah, glamorous, glamorous. <laughs> drinking champagne and eating bonbons and having cars that just uh -huh. mysteriously, miraculously come pick us up free oh, wow. <laughs> before every rehearsal and every performance. Yeah. So actually one of my friends recently had suggested that we maybe talk about some of the, the less glamorous parts of the business. I mean, people see all the time what it's like when people are on stage, but you don't always see what happens when you have to get up at 5 o'clock to get on a train uh, to get to an audition that's seven hours away. Yeah. I would just like to know maybe one unglamorous story that you feel you can share. It's not particularly unglamorous, but it's, uh, it's just also important to know that it's a lot of hard work. Uh, I got a phone call when I was doing a competition in Kassel. I got a phone call from an opera house in, in, uh, in Switzerland. Can you come for a performance t today? We need you to come today. That was the, the Paul Bunyan. Yes, the yeah. performance is tomorrow. <sighs> yeah, yeah, okay. So I got into the train. You, you left the competition. I left the competition <laughs> early. Uh, I, I went to Switzerland just before the border. It suddenly occurred to me that I didn't have a passport with me. <laughs> Oops. So uh, that was oh. a bit tricky. But uh, it, all, it all turned out to be okay. I then spoke to the people. They said, oh, here's, here's a DVD of the production. <laughs> the production, how we're doing it here. It's, it's, it's very similar to the way you did it already. And I said, ah, okay, good. Then they said to me, uh, yes, so after the quartet, and I stopped them and said, what quartet? Oh, that's right, you didn't sing the quartet in your production, did you? Yes, well, there's a quartet. Ah. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so you have well, to learn a quartet so, overnight. So I had to learn the quartet, and then I spoke to the, the, um, uh, I spoke to the, the musical director, and we were going through the role, and he said, yes, so just after your couple of lines in the recitative, 
I said, what couple of lines in the rest of the tape? Oh, they didn't tell you about that either. <laughs> so it is also important to uh, have strong nerves and mm -hmm. to think, well, I've only known about this since yesterday. It's only going to be as good mm -hmm. as the last 24 hours. Right. And just to accept that, mm -hmm. uh, to say, okay, that's, uh, that's okay. And lo and behold, it worked out. Yeah. How about you, Stephanie? Do you have any fun uh, stories for us? Not fun. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not at the time. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, in the U.S., I always thought, oh, I hope this is the last time I have to get changed in the bathroom. You're all constantly changing in bathrooms before auditions. Um, <laughs> so it's about the worst in, in the U.S. But um, my, the, my first contract in Germany, um, I was singing the Zweite Macht in Elektra. Mm -hmm. And... I couldn't speak German yet. I was, yeah, yeah, so I was just brought. I was invited for uh, for five weeks just for this to, to guest in this. And um, oh yeah, I had my I had to get my working papers on the day of the Zitzpulver, and okay. that was scheduled for early seven thirty. But these things take time. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. uh -huh. And the Zitzpulver was at ten in Duisburg. Oh, and so you had to also a forty-five minute bus ride to get there. Yeah, which would have been great had I been able to make the, the artist bus, the oh, no. bus. But um, I realized I wasn't going to make that, so I called the KBB and I was told, okay, just take the the, um, ooh, it's the, the subway, subway to the to the Polbabuna here. This so the rehearsal stage, there, to the yeah. rehearsal stage, and great. So I I hauled out of the um, my appointment as soon as as soon as I was finished. I I, I ran to the Hauptbahnhof. And got on the U-Bahn, went the 45-minute subway ride up to the Duisburg rehearsal stage, and ran across the street. Didn't know where I was going. I didn't have a map. I just I, I thought, okay, maybe this way. And finally, I see this quote-unquote <laughs> the, the rehearsal stage center. Uh huh. Wasn't quite sure what it was. And it's hard to get in there because you need because yeah, it's gated. It's gated. You need a key. I have to buzz and ring and speak German to someone who may or may not let you in. And then I get inside. I don't hear any singing. Nothing's going on. I get in the elevator. Go upstairs. Don't see anyone. Don't hear. Went back downstairs. Then suddenly I'm panicked. The the, the Zitzpobel had already started. Right. And I was now officially very late mm -hmm. <laughs> for John Fiore. The game the yeah. music director of yes. the house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, then I just started crying. I was oh, no. this little American girl who couldn't speak <laughs> German. And uh, our canteen cook was in the elevator. And I said in my pigeon German, who is this Zitzpobel? <laughs> He probably said to me, "Not here in, at the te at the theater." And I started, I cried even more. And he just said, "Nicht weinen, nicht weinen." And then he, he made a phone call. I think he called the Kabebe, and and I was yeah. And then I was told, "Oh yeah, no, sorry, my mistake. It's actually in the, at the theater, not at the at the rehearsal stage." Um, but we'll pay for it for a cat. Yeah. Good. So this is this, this is the unglamorous side. This uh, the running around here and there and <laughs> exactly and not speaking. I mean, and if you don't speak the language, it's it's yeah, it's tough. So Just like well, like you were saying, you didn't speak the language for rehearsals, and for James to learn Italian in German when mm -hmm. you don't speak German yet. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's not so easy. Anything else you guys can think of? No, I just think that it's uh, it's work. It's yeah. work. You're with a lot of people. You're with uh, technicians. You're with the lighting people. You're with the stage workers. 
it's much more uh, a, a worker environment than one would think because one is always on the other side and sees that and it's the ladies with the with the, 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 the jewelry and the big cars and the what have you but actually it's a it's, job it's a job mm-hmm. and it's work it's, it's a business and you're the the ceo and it's the product mm-hmm. you're selling yeah, is yourself you market that's yourself. really really important to know that the, the only person who will ultimately look after yourself is yourself Steph talked about the misinformation for her first rehearsal here in Germany, but she told me later that what she wanted to mention was that that's one of the biggest differences between working in the U.S. and working in Germany. In the States, when you go to a city for a contract, if you've flown there, someone will usually pick you up. They'll provide housing, and you generally get an information packet when you arrive telling you the basic rehearsal schedule, how to find rehearsal halls, the opera offices, and a few local places to eat, shop, or go to the gym. In Germany, no one pays any attention like that. You're expected to find your own place to live, find your own way there, and left to your own devices on finding rehearsal spaces and schedules. It can be frustrating, because sometimes there are things we just don't think to ask that they think are self-explanatory. Just know that it's happened to all the Americans over here. James said that he learned the International Phonetic Alphabet at the Guildhall School, but the German students don't study IPA. Rather, they use their own alphabet to write things out. That works okay for Italian, with the exception of open and closed O's, but can be really problematic with French. My first opera in Germany was Dialogues of the Carmelites, coaching Germans, who didn't speak French, in German, which I couldn't speak yet, when they didn't know any IPA was so difficult. (laughs) Knowing the phonetic alphabet gives us a great advantage when it comes to diction. Both Stephanie and James were in young artist programs as well. As I mentioned before, A great resource for finding out about young artist auditions is Opera America. They used to have a book called Career Guide for Singers. But now all that information is available online for their members. They have comprehensive lists of companies with young artist programs, the dates of the programs, who's in charge, when to apply, pretty much everything you need to know, so it's a useful investment. Look for places that will give you main stage experience, plus provide some continuation of education, whether it's with language classes, master classes with the incoming conductors and directors, acting, movement, private coachings, or anything that will help you continue to work on your craft. There are probably as many career paths as there are people working in opera. Sort of the standard path that I was told to follow was undergrad, grad school, young artist programs, and then contract work or a fest job in Europe, starting with smaller houses and climbing up from there. I followed this path, as did our next guest, my friend Timothy Oliver, a tenor under fest contract at the Zemperoper. He's also sung at Bayreuth, and this summer is debuting with the Santa Fe Opera Summer Festival in Santa Fe, New Mexico. So what are your thoughts on how to start a career or do you do you have any thoughts for students on how to start a career once they've gotten through college i think one of the biggest things you can do is use your contacts your networks even networks you didn't even think existed for instance one of the big things that helped me was that i i came from virginia not a big opera state Mm -mm. however a very good opera company exists there, Virginia Opera. Exactly. They play in Norfolk, Richmond, and Northern Virginia. Uh, I grew up in Norfolk, Virginia. My dad was a sub-captain, 
And I went to the opera there when I was since I was like in the ninth or eighth grade and and whatnot. And then I went off to college at Cincinnati Conservatory. And at some point along the other, one of my coaches, Sylvia Plyler, Tibby Plyler, said, "You know, as I was approaching graduating, she said, well, I think you should get to know Joe Walsh.'" And I said, "Joe Walsh, I know that name." And she said, "You, you're going to be at home. I think you need to go down there and sing for him." I didn't realize it, but that would prove to be a big deal for me. Mm -hmm. And so I went down, sang for him. He said, well, listen, Peter needs to hear you, uh, Peter Mark, the conductor. And so I, I sang for them. And they said, listen, we've got some small roles next year. We'd like for you to do the second priest in Magic Flute and cover the Tamino. Cover the Tamino. I thought, well, this oh is gosh. great. <laughs> and then we'd like to do Borsa and cover the Duke. And I thought, oh, wow. I mean, I'm 24 years old or something. But <laughs> I've arrived. Whatever. Great. While I was there doing those productions, the Giacchino in Fidelio canceled. Mm -hmm. And they said, well, would you like to do Giacchino? Great role. Mm -hmm. Perfect, Perfect for a young tenor. Exactly. And I said, Sure. Not even really knowing what why it was perfect. Of course, now in retrospect, I know why it was perfect. But I was like, "Sounds great!" <laughs> Another sounds great moment. And so that all led to things. Yeah. Funny enough, the tenor who canceled that Giacchino, I ended up meeting five years later in Germany because he had gotten a fest contract at, at the Theater in Braunschweig. Okay. And his agent made a note of who took his role over in Virginia. Uh huh. And when I was out in San Francisco covering, in Cozy, I was covering Paul Groves and Ferrando. I'd met Paul because I'd done Ohio Light Opera and he'd been associated with that 15 years ago. Again, strange contacts, strange networks, but things all come around funny. Yeah. And he said, well, Tim, there's nobody covering me. You should cover me. So I covered him. Mm -hmm. It was the greatest thing ever. And this agent was out there seeing one of his singers in Billy Budd and said, Tim, Tim Oliver, I know you. You sang Giacchino, and well, I think you sh you and I should have coffee. Okay, sure. So I had coffee. And said, well, I want you to do this audition in New York. It's for a lot of European opera houses, and I think you should do it. Was it the Niops? It was the Niops. Yes. Mm -hmm. I am one of the success stories from the <laughs> Niops. Everybody always says, "Really, you got something from that?" No, no. Actually, I know quite a few people that have gotten something from it. It's been going on for a while, so they must be doing something right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I, I was successful with it. I ended up, lo and behold, I landed the fest contract in Dresden, right town in the right place. Yep. And for a young singer, the repertoire that they wanted me to sing was absolutely right and appropriate. Mm -hmm. If you actually looked at my biography, you saw for Virginia Opera, I sang The Second Priest, I sang Borsa, you yeah. know, I did Giacchino. You sang the character I sang, of course. And, you know, I was 24. I yeah. was doing that stuff, and, you know, it, it all made sense. And I ended up not even realizing what was going on, like Dresden, Semple, but I didn't really know a thing about it. So the agent that suggested that you do the NIOPS, have they become your agent? Well, he, he had, because he had facilitated the audition, he was my agent, my representation for the, for the job, and uh, the house pays like 4% of your salary to them, and you pay the 6%, it's like a total of 10%. And, I, and you have to pay that for one year. But after that year, you don't have to pay your agent anymore. Very yes. important to note. It is very important to note. And I actually had a friend who got really stuck because her agent then sued her for it. Right, of course, because it, you know they get really mad. But 
at the same time, you know, you're getting a lot of taxes taken out. That money, that whatever, I don't know, 400 bucks. Cuts into it. Cut, you're right. It cuts into it big mm -hmm. time. So, no, so I kept him, but we've, we've since parted ways. But because in a way, you know, I landed this big fest gig and, and I was busy. I mean, I did 17 new roles in my first year. So, you know, as much as I was all ambitious and wanting to get going and I wanted it now, I wanted to do the next thing and the next thing, I was very busy. And, but I also expected that he was going to try to get me to do more things. And, and I think he kind of felt like Tim's there and he's doing his best thing, out of sight, out of mind, fine. I then wanted to push on and try to find my own way. And You mentioned holding on to contacts, even contacts you didn't know you had. Is there any, any other tips you could give or any other things? I mean, young artist programs, obviously. Or... Well, you know, I did, I did a few. I did the summer young artist programs. One of the things I can tell people was a great experience for me is I did uh, the Ohio Light Opera and I did three summers. Mm -hmm. That is tough work. You are doing seven to eight different shows in a summer. 70 performances in a summer? In mm -hmm. a summer. Mm -hmm. And you learn how to move on stage. You learn how to learn music fast. You learn how to sing when you feel awful. Yeah. And you know, you, you can't complain. You can't sort of, you don't have these fancy union rules and stuff like that. <laughs> you just have to do it. And it teaches you how to be tough. Because too many singers in this business are just not tough. Mm -hmm. They're always whining about stuff. And oh, this, and my voice, this, and my... No, you know what? Sorry. You gotta figure out how to sing properly and you should be okay, you know? And yeah. learn how to sing tired. Yeah. Learn how to how to, how to do those kinds of things. And not hurt yourself. And not hurt yourself. I mean you don't be stupid about it, but at the same time you you've got to learn how to push your limits. Mm -hmm. Uh and that helps me a lot, as I think in retrospect, with the simple but because it was it was I was thrown out on stage that first year I was here with no orchestra rehearsals, no time on the stage for many of these debuts, and tough debuts, like Ariane of Naxos, like mm -hmm. Strauss stuff, and difficult music, and... But I'd had that kind of experience, so I think if people can get into those rep experiences, yeah. where they're doing lots of performing... Yeah. I did the, the classic opera ones like St. Louis, I was out there, that was a fantastic experience, met some great people. Stephen Lord to this day, we're very good friends and, and I go to him for advice and tell him what's up and he, he gives me great advice and uh, Central City was good. I did that and had some great experiences with John Moriarty and uh, people like that. Those things are helpful. Get to know those people, write to those people that you meet there and tell them what you're doing Yeah. because you never know who they're talking to. Or who's looking, who else is looking who for else, somebody who's yeah, asking them. Yeah, who else is asking them, well, do you know somebody who might be a, I kind of need a young tenor or something? Oh, well, maybe then your name pops into that guy's mind. Exactly. I would also say, figure out where you come from, what performing organizations are there. Get your nose in front of those people. That stuff is important. We get, obviously, you come from New York, you know, Manhattan, maybe you're not going to get into the Met, or you're not going to be able to get into New York City Opera right off the bat. But say you're from, you know, Kansas or something, and maybe in Wichita, you know, yeah. if they haven't all gone bankrupt, these American opera houses. I mean, I know it's pretty tough. <laughs> it uh, is pretty tough. But, but still, yeah. do it. I always find that to be successful at this, you have to make your experiences. I agree. 
you can find those experiences, but you have to be active. Yeah, proactive. Proactive, rather. Yeah. yeah. You have to be proactive. Yeah. I also, one thing that I found with the summer programs, if you, can, if you can maintain a list of the agencies and the opera companies that came to hear auditions or that came to see shows with Glimmerglass, I remember they used to put together a list yep. for the young artists right. to tell them Absolutely. who all was there. And I wrote to all Follow of them. Follow-ups. Follow up on all of it. Say, I Definitely. sang this. I hope you remember me. It works. Your, your, your big job is just to get your name out there. Because, listen, they are inundated. Even if they liked you or thought you were great, they are so busy with their artists, because they got a lot of them, mm -hmm. that they're not thinking of Joe Schmo Tenor, who was good, but, yeah. but unless Joe Schmo is saying, hey, uh, I'm still here. I'm still here, and I'm ready, and I'm hungry. Yep. They're uh, more likely to not, not notice you, but... yeah. Tim suggested contacting the performing companies where you're from. This is something I also highly recommend. A good resource is Musical America, which lists all performing organizations by state. My college choir teacher, Dr. Robert Page, suggested writing to all the organizations within 50 miles of your home. Once you've been in touch with them, try 100 miles and keep branching out from there. I know this works because I did this myself. After my last Young Artist program, I made a list of cities that I had any friends or family in and wrote to all of those opera companies. One of them happened to be Kentucky Opera, whose pianist had quit literally the day before I sent my resume, so they invited me for a bohème and I ended up playing there for four seasons. In the summer of 2000, I was on staff at Utah Festival Opera, and since I was driving home from there, I called every opera company on the way from Utah through to Pennsylvania to see if they needed pianists. It just so happened that Pittsburgh Opera was looking for a staff pianist to coach the young artists, and I auditioned for them on my drive home and got the job. Last year, before I knew I was coming to Dresden, I had sent a few resumes out looking for contract work here in Europe, and ended up playing Die Frau in a Schatten in Frankfurt this past fall because of that letter of interest. Yes, I stress for hours over every letter and over every phone call, but it works. All of us talked about networking, using your contacts, Remember I said to Tim that at Glimmerglass, the young artists were given a list of every company and agent that heard us that summer? I really did write to them all. The companies I wrote to saying that I was interested in contract work. The agencies I wrote to saying that I was going to be in New York in the fall and would be available to play auditions. I ended up getting a lot of freelance work in New York that fall because of it, and even a few years later received an email from Seattle Opera. They still had my resume on file and had a position open. By that point, I was already living in Germany and couldn't apply, but I still continue to send my resume every so often. Who knows when I'll want to move back? Keep that contact open. There are all kinds of ways to have a career, and no one can tell you exactly how to have one. We can only tell you how we got started and offer ideas. The important thing to remember is that you also need to have a life, and you need to feel good about what you're doing. It's a tough and extremely subjective business, and since what we do is so personal, it's very easy to get hurt and discouraged by a bad critique or a difficult colleague. Make sure to have a life outside of the business, hobbies that have nothing to do with music, friends who do other things, and keep your chin up. And that's our special edition of The Diction Police. If you'd like to find out more about Stephanie Woodling Buchar, James Martin, or Timothy Oliver, or if you have any specific questions for me, Ellen Rissinger, you can do that through the blog at thedictionpolice.com. This will be the last episode before my summer break. I'll see you back here again on August 20th. 
Until then, have a great summer and keep your ears open.